Production. Recorded live. Good morning. It's Sunday, the 15th of July, 2018, from Coolidge, Arizona. We're continuing our studies here on Sunday morning. Uh, This is Neil instead of David Traxler. Uh, David uh, got so wrapped up in his message last Sunday that he forgot to announce that he wouldn't be here for a number of Sundays uh, last week. But he is doing his uh, vacationing and also some work-related stops on his way to Washington, Oregon, California, and, and I don't think he's going any further north than that this time. But he'll be back with us in four to five weeks, uh, taking up again his study in basics, uh, the, the basics class that he's been dealing with. And uh, we are going to take a break from that class and uh, not interfere with his uh, lessons that he has prepared. And we're going to go back to our studies in Acts, which is also a continuing study uh, here on Sunday morning. We have studied Acts up to the point where we were going to begin Chapter 15 in Acts, which is kind of a, another turning point in the, uh, the uh, historical account that we find in Acts, where we're going to have what's known as the Jerusalem Council uh, and things pertaining to the Gentile churches. But what we're going to do for the next few weeks is go over once again the gospel messages as they were first presented and continued to be presented up to chapter 15, and the first two, of course, will be to the Jewish audience, and then the next two will be both to the Jews and the Gentile audiences combined, and we'll get into those when we get there. But I want to start in Acts chapter 2, of course, um, which is uh, a good place to start looking at preaching, because this is where we find it coming to pass as far as gospel preaching goes as we understand it. And the Apostle Peter, of course, is the subject of my comments today Um, and also the very first gospel message, if we can say that. It was delivered unto the the Jews, or maybe better said the Judeans of that area in Jerusalem in approximately A.D. 32. And um, those dates are a little hard for us to deal with because we're, we're still solidifying the actual date of the actual year of uh, the resurrection, although it's within this time frame. We're just trying to pinpoint it. But nonetheless, uh, this is where we're at in the period of time. And this also deals with the so-called birth date of Jesus himself being before Uh, the zero point in the uh, A.D. recordings. So don't let that confuse you. Um, I think it's also important to remember uh, that as the 12 apostles, and we have Judas's um, position being filled in Acts chapter 1, if you'll recall. Uh, His position was was, was filled. And now we have, again, 12 apostles. 
Uh, and that's good because that was prophesied in the Old Testament, and they took care of it the way that the Jewish community always took care of things. They prayed, and they drew lots so God could make the decision. You see, all of this occurs before we find the church being birthed, if you will, or born on Pentecost. Um, now, much to do with the church and the teaching and, and, and the background we find in the Gospels, that's true. But it's important to remember, as I said, concerning those 12 apostles, that they had been promised that they would receive something as they waited in Jerusalem. The promised presence of the spirit of truth, or the comforter, or the paracletes, and in fact, the very presence of Jesus himself, because all of that means Jesus, um, was coming to them. And, and, and that's where we're at. Uh, that's how this message starts. This is what happens just before, as the Bible always says, Peter opens his mouth and begins to speak. Before that, some other things happened that really drew a crowd, uh, were necessary, and were preparatory for what was going to happen as far as uh, these things. Jesus had promised the apostles in John 14 uh, this anointing from on high, if you will, and when they received it, they were moved to speak the good news that the Father in heaven had promised the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, they were going to be speaking about the Redeemer. Now, let's go, before we start in Acts uh, chapter 2, and I'll be starting with about verse 5, um, we're going to have to look at John 14. Remember I said Jesus promised the apostles something in John 14? John 14, verse 15. John 14, verse 15. If you don't have this in your mind solidified, you need to, because this is Jesus speaking to the apostles, only the apostles. They were the only people there that heard these words because there's promises made to them and them alone in the entire chapter of 14 uh, of John, and that's very important to know. But starting with verse 15, If you love me, Jesus said, you, that is you the apostles, will keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he might be with you forever. You have to listen so close to every word that Jesus says here because there is, there's no verbiage here. Everything is foundational, powerful, and absolutely necessary for us to understand to know what's going on in the church. Verse 16, or verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, for it beholdeth him not, neither knoweth him. You know him, for he abideth with you. Remember that word, with you. And shall be in you. 
You see those two prepositions? Do they mean the same thing to you? Because they don't mean the same thing to anyone else. To be with you and in you are two different things, right? Okay. You see, we, we need to make sure we understand that before we move on. They did. They heard what was said. Okay. What verse are we on? Um, yeah, can we go back to the... Yeah. I will not leave you desolate. I come unto you. That's the pivotal verse in this. Now, wasn't he just promising the, the what he was going to ask the Father for? Yes. All of the different words, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, all of this, they would, they would come unto them. And then in verse 18, I will not leave you desolate. I come unto you. The, the, the whole world didn't receive Jesus. He came to the Jews. That's right. Now, you see what's happening here? Jesus is with them. Was he saying this? Now in verse 18, he's showing them how he will be in them. I will not leave you desolate. I come unto you. We have to understand what happened. We don't see it on the next verse, do we? No. We wait till the day of Pentecost sometime later. Remember, the crucifixion hadn't even happened yet. The ascension hadn't happened yet. The resurrection hadn't happened yet. All right? Verse 19 and 20. Yet a little while, and the world beholdeth me no more. But you behold me. Because I live, you shall live also. In that day you shall know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Didn't I just say Jesus was going to be in them? He, he says it here in verse 20. And the idea of, because I live, you shall live also, yeah. that's not just breathing air, friends. That's life without end, he speaks of. Life without end. Not, not the life we have in the physical body. That should make about 15 gods, right? You know. <laughs> now, we could talk about three days about this. But, <laughs> especially when you uh, possibly figure in... Uh, some aspects of uh, how some of the apostles, anyway, were taken out. That's right. And in the same way. So there's a there's a lot there. Remember, in Acts chapter one, Jesus makes sure that they know that they're to wait for him in Jerusalem. They're to return to Jerusalem until the power from God. Power from on high, however you want to phrase it, whatever your, your translation says, comes upon them, them, the 12. Not the 120, not the whole crowd, it's, it's them. You have to follow the pronouns and the nouns very carefully in Acts to find out who's being spoken to, who's speaking, all the different things. It's just grammar and it's not very complicated. But it is necessary to know. Okay, I wanted to read that in 14 because, you see, when this day arrived, when the day of Pentecost arrived, the apostles were still waiting in Jerusalem for the promise that Jesus had made. They were still waiting. 
They knew something was coming. They didn't know what, probably exactly. But now they had been put together once again as the twelve, uh, with the place of uh, Judas being refilled, and um, they were ready to go to work, so to speak. Acts chapter 2 is a pivotal point of the whole Bible. If we were going to put a fulcrum in the Old Testament and the New Testament, this is where you'd put it. Because, you see, everything that has happened before, even including the Gospels and all of the Old Testament, prophecy, history, whatever, all of it now has come to a fulcrum point, has come to a a real point that something dramatic is going to change. And that's what they were waiting for. That's what the promise of God had been to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and to the whole uh, nation of Israel. And this is what the people were waiting for. And this is where it begins, the beginning of. Now, when something begins, many times there's a lot of preparatory things that happen before something actually begins. I think you're, you're aware of that. But at this point, all that had been prophesied and promised before was now beginning to be, or was beginning to transpire, is the better word. The promised Messiah had come. The apostles knew this, and some others, a number of others, at least 120, and I'm sure more than that even. Because remember, more than 500 saw Jesus after his uh, uh, resurrection. But the Messiah had come, the penalty for sin, which was the, the, uh, the issue from the very beginning of, of creation until this point, the penalty for sin had now been paid by the death of the Son of God on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the man without sin, his blood now paid in full that penalty for sin, which was death. Now, not many of the covenant people of God, those of Israel and Judea, were aware of of what had happened when Jesus was crucified. And they certainly, most of them, did not understand the full meaning of what had happened. Remember, even the apostles were grieving over the death of Jesus of Nazareth, their friend and their Lord. But they waited. And something had happened uh, in Jerusalem 50 days uh, before Pentecost, and that was the Passover. Actually, that year there were two Passovers, one on Thursday and one on Saturday. That's another thing that we'll have a whole lesson on here not too too long from now. But this idea of the Passover, we know that the day of Pentecost is always 50 days after the Passover. That's the day we're on right now. When they got up that morning, it was the day of Pentecost. But something had happened in 50, 50 days ago and a little more than 50 days, the crucifixion. But there was great turmoil in Jerusalem. And many, many, many visitors in Jerusalem. The city swelled to 
uh, nearly one and a half million people during these times of the feasts and holidays. So, the Apostle Peter is about to stand with the eleven. And he's about to begin to speak, I would say, the words from heaven. Because remember, that that came upon them, we're going to read about here right now. In chapter 2, let's just start uh, with, with the first of the chapter. And when the day of Pentecost was now come, they, all together in one place, of course that's the apostles, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound as of the rushing of a mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Now, it wasn't just the twelve sitting there. There were a number of other people there at that time. Let me mention one other thing about this word wind here. That word wind uh, has a particular meaning. It still has the idea of pneuma, uh, in, in the Greek, the spelling is a little different because in the Septuagint, the, this wind, it, it um, means this is a wind that its, its source, its origin is from heaven. That's what it's, how it's used in the Old Testament. Uh, and you'll notice a different spelling than pneuma, Uh, as the wind that we've heard about in John chapter 3 and other places of a wind. So this wind has a particular origin, you see. This isn't just a wind that comes out of the northeast and the south or west, okay? This is a wind, and and this is the, the workings of God, a mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them tongues parting asunder, like as of a fire. You have to understand all the adverbs there. It doesn't mean it is fire. It means it looked like fire. And it sat upon each one of them, the twelve. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Holiness in this case, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was what they were waiting for. This is what Jesus had promised. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And the, and, and the power from heaven, from my Father, will come upon you. This is what occurred to them. And the, the word filled there is, all, is, you know, just two verses removed from them being, you know, the, the mighty wind rushing down. It's already in the, you know, p- uh, passive, arrowist, and indicative. <laughs> I mean, it's already, I mean, yeah. it's already point punctilier, done and and over with. It's done. They've received it, haven't they? And that's what, you know, as we go along, we we come to some some pretty good conclusions here, don't we? What Jesus had promised had now happened. And, And we, as we read on, we can forget about the verse numbers because really it's just an account of what happened. It's an account of what happened and what was said. And verse 5, because this is where uh, I wanted to be anyway. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, or some of your versions say at, 
Jews. Now we know that, right? Devout men from every nation under heaven. See, it's not just the population of Jerusalem. It's not, it's not just them. There's more people there. Speaking of the men, of course, that also meant they had wives and children and all with them. But they were all Jewish people. They were all covenant people. And they were in the right place at the right time. That's something else. And, and uh, many people feel that there were a lot of holdouts from the Passover some 50 days before, that they were still there because of all that had transpired and all the conversation. There was a real feeling amongst the Jews that something had occurred, and of course something had. So, verse 6, And when this sound was heard, the multitude came together and were confounded, because that every man heard them, that is the apostles, speaking in his own language. You understand what that means? The apostles were all speaking. They were speaking in languages more than 12 languages, by the way. If you add up all the nations and things, maybe there were some duplicate languages, but everybody there heard the words exactly in their own tongue, so there was no misunderstanding. No misunderstanding. Seven. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying, Behold, are not all these that speak Galatians? Or Galileans, rather? (laughs) I don't know how I got Galatians out of that. They were all Galileans. They knew where these men were from. They probably dressed differently. They probably had a little different accent. They knew who they were. They were all from Galilee. And yet what? They're speaking in all these different languages that that you can read for yourself if you want from verse 8 on. Uh, all the different countries around, just the surrounding countries. Uh, there were even those that were called sojourners from Rome, both uh, uh, proselytes and just visitors from Rome. You see, Jerusalem was was the uh, probably the second most important city in the known world in those days. Number three would be Alexandria, Egypt. Rome, of course, being the first. Athens also in that list. So you're going to have a lot of people, especially during these times. Um, And this is how how people do things, and uh, we have to understand that. You know, this this sure does put to shame all of the, the eyes closed, hands up, blabbering that you see that people call speaking in tongues. Hmm. Tongues are always and always have been languages. And when you spoke in tongues as as something from heaven that caused you to, uh, that's a language that you never learned. These apostles didn't know all these languages. And in this case, it's they're not even speaking differently. It's what everybody no. else is hearing is different. They're hearing it in their own. So if you want a miracle, that's a double miracle. Yeah. <laughs> they could have been speaking uh, in one language and, and everybody hearing it. it. It doesn't say, all it does say is that they heard it in their own language. And stop to think about, stop, stop to consider that what was happening here was this noise, this wind, this event 
There was something going on. And these people were pulled in for that reason. See, that's amazing to me because there was a purpose behind all of this. And it was a miracle of sorts, but something was starting. Remember, we always talk about that there's often a miracle at the beginning of any event. Well, this was happening. They're like, what the heck? They're going over there, and then they see these. And, and, and then they see this. There's public there seeing this. People that have nothing to do with the church seeing what's going on. And they, you know, there, there's no doubt in my mind that that was carried. The word of, word of mouth written down, talked about. They knew who these guys were. They, they did. And there, was, there were thousands and thousands of people there. Yeah. That's what we have to understand. It wasn't just a small little crowd from, from a couple of stores around. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it any, is it in any of our history books in the universities? Uh, well, no. <laughs> Why not? Because this this is a study in the birth of the church, so it's considered um, it would be considered um, uh, bias or or um, I, I hate to go on with what it might be considered. Okay. What it is is pure history. It is. It's pure history, and we're about to hear some real doctrine. So. Uh, because, as I said before, the words that Peter spoke as he stood up are words from heaven. Words from heaven. Jesus had promised the apostles, do not worry about what you will say. I will give you the things to say. Now, he didn't say that to me. So I have to study the Bible and know what was said before I can repeat it. But as far as the apostles go, uh, the things that they needed in fullness they were given by how? We just saw it. What happened when those tongues parted asunder and came upon each one of the apostles and they were filled, okay? They were filled with the presence of the Spirit that Jesus calls the Comforter, the Paracletes. Paracletes meaning the exactness of himself. Now, if you believe that, if you believe that at this point the apostles were there with the presence of Christ in them, and if we go on and read the rest of the New Testament, you'll find that that's what the apostles say, that they have the mind of Christ. Why? Because Christ is in them. All right. Now, that happens to be the truth, but it sure does clarify a lot of the other things. And it also makes what the apostles say binding upon us who who named Christ as our Savior. Okay, who were the words of Peter directed to? The men of Jerusalem, right? The men and women of Jerusalem. Anyone with ears? Devout men? Jews from many other nations, proselyte or otherwise? And they were gathered together uh, in the city for another feast day, the Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost. So, that's the scene. And there would have been nothing in the universe or on he- in heaven or earth that would have stopped Peter, 
that day from standing up and proclaiming what he did. Matter of fact, I'll use a different word. Now let us read from Peter's declaration, because Peter's making a declaration here of the Messiah. He's announcing the Messiah. He's announcing his name, who is Jesus of Nazareth. And he also says, This man was approved of God through mighty works and deeds, etc., etc. By the way, all of which people in Jerusalem in that day knew of. Not everyone, but mostly. They had heard of the miracle worker. They have heard of the one that raised Lazarus from the dead and others. Okay, this is the scene, and to me this is, I'm sure that they were waiting for the first word to be said as Peter stood up. Now they'd heard a lot of things from all of them in their own language, words that were, what, uh, praising God, right? Um, Speaking in their own language, they were... um, uh, praising God in in every way that they could, the way the Jews praised God, talking about the attributes of God. So let's let's read from verse 14. I want to read from 14 to 24. It won't take as long as you think. Uh, And within these verses, we're getting the beginnings of what he's saying, but oh, how much he says. Verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and spake forth unto them, saying, Ye men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and give an ear unto my words, for these are not drunken. You see, all of the men speaking, some were saying that they had been drinking. New wine. As you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, that's nine o'clock in the morning, friends. But this is that which hath been spoken through the prophet Joel. Oh, now, now he's really getting serious. Okay? He's very serious now. Now he's going to say that Joel has prophesied what they are living and experiencing right at that moment. Yeah, he knows just the buttons to push. That's Joel. By the way, it's Joel chapter 2, actually the whole chapter of 2, but verse 28 in particular and, and following up to the end of the chapter. What does he say? Peter quotes it. And it shall be in the last days, saith God, yeah. I will pour forth of my Spirit upon all flesh, And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, yea, and on my servants and on my handmaidens in those days will I pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the day of the Lord come, that great and notable day. And it shall be that whosoever 
shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God unto you through mighty works and wonders and signs which God did through him in the midst of you, even as you yourselves know, him being delivered up by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you, by the hands of lawless men, did crucify and slay, whom God raised up, having loosed the pangs of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. I'll pause there. I want to go on, but I will pause because I want to say a few things about those verses. And if you want to know how to preach to the Jewish people of your day, this is a pretty good outline. This is it, friends. Uh, this is what they they understand. This is this is real to them. Verse fifteen, uh, the these there. Uh, I want to spare, specify, for these are not drunken. These are the other apostles, of course. And in verse 16, I, I told you that what he's speaking about through the prophet Joel is um, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. And uh, by the way, um, Joel was a prophet during the period of uh, the king king of Judea, Manasseh, who was the son of Hezekiah, uh, somewhere around 690 to 650 B.C., in that time period, uh, not, it's not specifically given, uh, but that was the time frame that he was writing these things. So that's just before the Babylonian captivity? Just, just before, a number of years before, about, about 50 years. Um, and... This is a, this is an old prophecy. Mm-hmm. This, but this is a prophet, a Jewish prophet that the Jews understood the ideas of Joel, along with all the rest of the prophets. This was their text, their Bible. Yeah. He was talking about. They knew what he was talking about. Not only that, but the prophecy, the prophecy that was given by Joel. Right. But when Peter delivered it, oh yeah, it was the sentence. The yeah. sentence had been brought against Jerusalem, and he was proclaiming it. Yeah. And that, you know what, if that doesn't send shivers down your spine. Yeah. Isn't that just what he said in verse 16? But this is what is that which hath been spoken through the prophet Joel. He made it very clear. He didn't give any, there's no room to fudge on this. He's saying what you're seeing now, Joel wrote about uh many, many years ago, almost 700 years ago. That's what they were seeing then. So, and he goes on, these proclamations, you see, are weighty, they're heavy, and and they mean something. What's it say in 17? And it shall be in the last days, saith God. You see, now he's telling the Jews, he's telling all the Jewish people, people from around the world that 
the day that they're standing, they're, they're there that day, and it's the last days, the last days of the covenant. They knew all about that too. Ezekiel, Isaiah, uh, all of the, the, the prophets speaking of the last day. Did they know what the last day was? Oh, yes, they did. They knew the covenant was near completion. The end of the age of the Jews. That's not what I was taught growing up. That's not what the last last days were. The last days have not <laughs> happened yet, have they? Yeah. Well, the last days were yet to come. How could it be the last days if we're still here? If you take the word, the phrase last days out of this context, it can mean anything. But in this context, it's locked into the Jewish experience and it cannot go from there. Once you understand that, and once you understand that, you're on your way. So, maybe some folks are listening to this program today are hearing this uh, this preaching sermon of of uh, Peter for the first time under this sort of inference. This was preaching to the Jews, and what he's saying had to pertain to them, to them, and to them only. That's why I say it's, it was to the Jews alone, all right? Uh, if you weren't a Jew, this message meant nothing to you and did not pertain to you at all in uh, 32 A.D. We look at it now as, as the beginning of the, of the church. We look at it in historical context. And, and, and as we read the rest of the Bible, we find out how it is that we are brought into this. But right now, right now we can't do it. We can't put ourselves there. And the last days do not apply to us at all. So he's saying in verse 17, the last days of the Jews. He's making that declaration. And then in verse 20, he uses just as strong a term. You see, verse 20, before the day of the Lord come, the great and notable day. Other places in the Old Testament, it's called the great and terrible day. Mm-hmm. It's a day of, of uh, recompense. I actually like that a little more because, yeah, I, yeah it's pretty, it was terrible. It is a terrible day to the, enemies, to the enemies of God. That's right. Horrifying. That's right. They understood what the day of the Lord meant. Every Jew knew what the day of the Lord meant. They were awaiting the day of the Lord the same way they were awaiting the Messiah, and they knew that they were very close to being in the same time period. And they were, about 40 years. And then in verse 21, after all of this news that was shocking, I mean, it's like, if you just bought a new boat, maybe you won't get to use it, you know? This news was shocking. But in verse 21, it gets, it gets a lot better. And it shall be that whosoever of the Jews shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, that's good news. You see, being saved is the whole, really is the other side of being issue, uh, being uh, dealt with on that great and terrible day of the Lord. So, 
I think that's very important. So those who love, so those, so those righteous ones whose love for God was stronger than their love for the temple. And, and that's exactly right. You know, we 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 got to be careful. We look back and say, well, how could they have missed it? How could they have not known that Jesus was the Messiah? How could they somehow not grasp? Well, friends, con- consider your own life and your own personality, and, and those of your family and your neighbors and your friends. How hard is it for you to turn around completely and go another direction? Even with good evidence, uh, you know, we're very leery in, in our society today of being sold something. Sold something that's not true. Sold something that won't work. Sold something that, that is going gonna, is gonna to cause us trouble. And, and all of these different things. People were much the same then. They were wary of these things. And, and Jesus, read the Gospels. You'll see how Jesus dealt with the Jews um, through the parables and, and, and through all that he taught, the, um, the, the sermon, uh, the, the points that he made blessed are to, to the Jews, one of the first messages he had, uh, all that he said to the Jews to prepare them, to prepare them for what was happening this day. Yes, a lot of them missed the crucifixion. They didn't know why. They knew about the miracle worker. They didn't know why he was crucified. They weren't happy. But they still didn't know what to do about anything. Today, on this day of Pentecost, Peter, the apostle, stands up and declares to all those there the wonderful things that God has wrought upon the nation of Israel, the Jews, wherever they are, now, Peter's declaration is very clear in whom he is speaking about. He's speaking about Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah. He was a man. This wording is inescapable in its intent to show all forevermore that the apostles preached this Jesus as the Holy One of God, the Redeemer, the Savior of man, but he was also a man born of Mary, and he came from Nazareth. Now, we're nearly out of time this morning. And before we move on in Acts chapter 2, uh, with verse 22 and following, I want to show you uh, how important this, this is. Because remember, um, starting in verse 22, um, we... Well, we, we went through verse 22, and we're up to, um, up to verse 25. But in verse 22, uh, Peter makes it very clear uh, who Jesus is. He makes it very clear, very clear, that he is a man approved of God. Now, is this important to, to Christianity? Is it really important that Jesus is a man? Can he be... God and man, or, or God alone, or just look like a man. Well, it's very important to Christianity, and here's the reason why. Just what he said here. 
a man is a man. In their language, that that is all he could be from the Apostle Peter's lips. Now let's go, in closing this morning, let's go to what uh, many, many years later, what the apostles are still teaching concerning Jesus. Because this is foundational of the Christian faith. And if you miss this, if you let someone wash this out for you or redefine what being a man is in the case of Jesus of Nazareth, you do not understand what the gospel is and, and all that, that occurred that men can be saved. Let's go to 1 John chapter 4, the first three verses. 1 John chapter 4, the first three verses. The apostles are still teaching about Jesus. And he begins this way. And by the way, this is many years later, uh, nearly 30 years later. 30 years later, they're still saying what? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but prove the spirits whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know you the spirit of God. In other words, this is a qualified you know this is from God if, what? Every spirit that confesseth, confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. Wherefore, you have heard that is coming and now is in the world already. That's a little additional information that doesn't cost anything more today. But here's the idea. Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. If that's what you believe, that is the very truth of God. Is it foundational for Christianity? Yes, it is. Study it for yourself and throw out all of the nonsense that people have been taught through the ages concerning uh, the so-called elements of the Messiah and, and believe the word of God. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, for this time that you have granted us and be with us now as we consider these words of Peter concerning your son. And we pray, Father, that we will return again to follow on in this lesson uh, next Sunday according to your will. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.